Hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Taco Supremo. Just a few miles from what Travel and Leisure magazine has awarded the best city in the world lies the small, snoozy town of Folly Beach, South Carolina. Southern Living magazine refers to Folly as the perfect beach town, while others claim Folly as colorful, fun, and laid back with some of the best views on the East Coast. However, locals know, but perhaps won't admit, that this well-crafted facade does an impressive job in diverting tourists from Folly's true past, one of malice, sadism, and murder. And as you'll see in tonight's episode, as we begin digging up some of the secrets that most would rather leave covered, that there's more than just seashells buried beneath the sand of the beautiful Folly Beach. Oh, John, before I forget, Alan had a comment for you on the last episode about um, the guns. What did he say? Okay, so Alan says, Alan is our, our gun expert here, and he says, Oh, John, you can indeed buy full auto firearms in the States. The stipulation is that an individual has to apply for and pass an incredibly deep See, completely up your ass, background check, conducted by the ATF, along with paying an insane fee for the license in order to own one. Along with the fee, in order to buy a full auto firearm, expect to pay over four grand for the firearm itself. Also, there are different licenses required for different types, each costing more than the other to go from old, heavy, full auto, all the way to the small stuff like an MP5. Jesus, what kind of person? I mean, who who would they? I give? mean, people with money can do it, or people that I mean, and they also have to, you know, pass well, they that have to background have a reason test. to have one. It seems uh, like, and like, who needs? I a, mean, at least it's, it seems like it's a thorough background check, for, according to Alan, which is you know good. Well, there you go. Steve, got to tell you, we're getting a lot of love on that story, and I appreciate that. We are the only podcast that's ever done it. That always makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. How come the only stories you guys like is when we get hammered? All right, guys, tonight's story is a local story here for us at the Talk Murderer house. Sweet. And you may have noticed before live shows recently, I started doing stories from whatever city that I was going to do a live show in. So this weekend we have a live show here in Charleston. So I thought I would cover the Folly Beach serial killer Ooh. tonight. So it's just me and Nicole tonight, so she will be my uh, narrator. So, Nicole, can you please describe these two girls right here? So um, these girls look awfully young. I mean, not like children young, but they look like very young teenage girls, like maybe 13 or so. Um, They're white with medium length hair, freckles. It looks like one of them has braces. Yeah, what year do you think this is? Probably 1978. Yeah, that's pretty close. We're actually going to May 23rd, 1973. So the two girls here that we're starting with tonight, they were best friends. Alexis Ann Latimer, she was 13. She is, if you go to talkmer.com, you can see these photos. Alexis is the one on the right there. Okay. And then Sherry Jan Clark. 
That's her on the left. So go to talkmore.com to see those. They look photos. like they should be in the Brady Bunch. Yeah, I mean, they definitely had the Brady Bunch 70s haircut. Yeah. That, that was 70s, right? You yeah, think so? I think so. Yeah. So it is a Wednesday, May 23rd, 1973. Now, Sherry is actually visiting Alexis at their parents' beach home. They had okay. just bought this house. And, well, before we get started, Nicole, can you tell me all about Folly Beach? Um, sure. Well, Folly Beach is, um, so there's, there. so Charleston, there's no actual beach in the, on the Charleston Peninsula. There's the, the Battery downtown. Um, so when you come to our neck of the woods, there's two beaches that are Barrier Islands, Isla Palms and Sullivan's. And then going south of uh, the Charleston Peninsula is where you get to um, John or James Island, John's Island. And then further down south, you have Kiowa and Seabrook. So Folly Beach is the the really the, the main beach um, just south of Charleston. Uh, it is a kind of a rowdier beach than I would say Isle of Palms and Sullivan's. Um, a lot more like hippie laid back, but that's also, you know, what you see in James Island and John's Island at least today. Like much more, I don't want to say like overgrown. That's not the right word. Um, like things are more spread out. Um, but Folly is known to be like a little rowdier, a little more like touristy even. Uh, there's the Folly Beach Pier, a lot of surfers, but it's a, it's a fun time. A lot of beach bars up until recently, alcohol was allowed on the beach there. Here we are more closer to some of the other islands and we stay away from Folly Beach because if you were to tell me this story tonight and you didn't tell me which beach this happened on, but it was in the nearby area, I would automatically guess Folly Beach. So hmm. if that tells you something about that beach compared to the others. But Alexis Latimer and her family, they're restoring this old beach house that they bought probably a great deal in the 70s. Too. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if they still have it. I really doubt they do. Uh, watching an interview with her mother, she really didn't seem too keen on Folly Beach. I don't blame her. It's a Wednesday. They're actually about to go back home and retire for the night. They've been painting this thing. They're trying to get it ready for the summer. It's May 23rd, 1973. The two girls say they're going for a little walk, a little stroll on the beach. And Mary, the mother of Alexis Latimer, is kind of hesitant. But she's like, okay, just be back in 30 minutes because we're literally packing up right now and leaving. So they're like, okay, good. We'll be back. That was the last time that Mary and her friends and family and anyone else had seen these two girls alive. Let me tell you a little bit about Sherry and Alexis. They were both Beta Club members. They were in middle school, obviously. They were. What's Beta Club? Oh, I don't know. I thought you knew that. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was like some smart thing. I don't know. I was definitely wasn't in no Beta Club. I I was in the Alpha Club. They're both Beta Club members. They're very popular in their school, and they're obviously about to start high school. And oh, they're so they're going in. This is the summer. Going yeah, into they're their going freshman in. Year. Yeah, so they're about to go in their freshman year. They're best friends, but they have plenty of friends. They're very popular in their school system. Now, 
the Folly Beach police get the report of the missing teenagers from Mary Latimer. And let's just say they did not do anything for two weeks at all. Hmm. They did nothing. And so when you, the girls are missing, no, no the, Yeah, so the girls go missing. So they go walk on the beach. 30 minutes later, they're not home. Mary gets, you know, distraught. She's wondering what has happened. Where are these girls? She gets her family. They all go to the beach. And for hours, they search nothing. And then immediately, they contact the Folly Beach Police Department. And they report the teens missing. Now, the Folly Beach Police did not do anything for two weeks. And if you watch the interview from Mary Latimer, you can definitely see that she's still kind of resentful that they did absolutely nothing for two weeks. But well, yeah, and that's the most critical time. You know, if you can't can't find find them quickly. Yeah. But then again, it's the beach police. If you ever come down here to Charleston and you go to the beach, the beach police I mean, it's like they're that, wearing uh, shorts. Yeah. It's like Paul Blart. <sighs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely the dream job. Holy shit! Like I definitely would love to be a beach cop, but they're dealing with kids drinking. They're dealing with surfers that are illegally surfing some of the waters. They're dealing with sharks, stuff like that. They're not dealing with homicides. Okay, that is yeah. something that they are not trained for because they will never have to worry about that ever. They automatically assume that both of the girls decided to run away. I know that sounds crazy, but this is during the 70s where girls just decided to run away for some reason. Okay. We do know. Well, a lot of hitchhiking and a lot of a lot of hitchhiking, throwing up the thumbs, going across to California, stuff like that. I mean, that was a time period. Craziness. But if you go back and look at the newspapers and try to find any information about these two girls during the first two weeks, you will not find it because none of the local papers published anything about it. The police literally thought they ran away, which is crazy. Why would a 13 and a 14 year old? You know, who's going to spend the entire summer at a beach house run away? I mean, they should have. Right. I feel like they should have done some more about that. And it seems like a very young age for for them to be even considered like hitchhiking an option for them. Um, you know, 16, 17, I don't know, 14 just seems pretty darn young. And if there's like no issues at home. For them to be concerned about to say, oh, yeah, they're they would they want to run away. They've they they always talked about going to Hollywood or whatever it is. If there's no signs of that, then come on, guys. Mary Latmer said the girls were reported missing immediately, but the police laughed at me. They thought I was just an overwrought mother. The families of the two teens decided to take matters into their own hands. They printed out these leaflets. They distributed them to local restaurants and gas stations, stuff like that. They paid for all this stuff. Mary, the mother of Alexis, was so distraught and so worried, like any mother should be, would be, that she actually contacts a psychic, but not just any psychic, a psychic in the Netherlands. Wow. Yeah, he's like this world-renowned psychic at the time. I mean, I have had family members contact psychics before. Four. Or I wouldn't call them necessarily psychics. I'd call them medi- mediums, which maybe that is what this person was. 
Guys, I want to know if anyone has any experience or what you guys think about contacting psychics. Please tell me. Go to the blog under this and, and leave me a comment or something. Tell me every story I've done, and a lot of them I never even mentioned the psychic routes, they're all wrong. So I don't really understand why people buy this stuff. I mean, I know why people buy it because it's desperation. They'll do anything. Right. But I have never came across a story that the psychic was actually right. And if there's a story like that, please let me know because I'll definitely cover it. But the psychic did draw a pretty detailed map of Folly Beach. But then again, you know, you could look that up. I mean, I know they didn't have Google Earth, but they had maps, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. this is a this is the actual psychic drawing. And it's hard to see, but this is the beach. This is the beach. Yep. This is the water, and then the bodies are buried here, uh, like North in the marsh, like in the marshland, yeah, in the dunes, the marsh dunes, North Folly Beach. So, and the map is actually pretty accurate. Okay, but uh, you know, it's only accurate if they if the bodies are where he yeah, said they're. But their bodies be. aren't you know where they were. So at this point, the mothers are getting psychics. They're doing all this stuff, and the police are not offering much help at all. The police chief at the time, his name was Julian Bunch. He was the um, the police chief of Folly Beach at the time. And they literally just thought that these girls ran away. Okay, so if you want to read this, this is from September 29th, 1974. This is from the Daily News. Charleston County Police had reached the decision that the two girls might have joined those thousands of other runaway girls across the nation who had drifted into anonymity in search for their own identity and a flight from home discipline. The search for the girls was abandoned. That's crazy that they were just kind of, oh, they probably ran away. Like, make an effort, dude. Mary made a good point in her interview when she said that. Okay, so what if they did run away? A 13-year-old and 14-year-old ran away. They're still too young to take care of themselves, to eat, to do anything. And they're still putting themselves in 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 huge danger if they were to be running away. At 13 and 14, don't wait two weeks before you do anything like they did, you know? Completely agree. She's right. Yeah. Hell yeah, she's right. All right. So we're skipping forward just a little bit. We're going to come back to those girls. Okay. But this is a different crime that I'm about to talk about right now. Okay. Okay. So stay with me. On Folly Beach on East Atlantic Street, which I Googled Earth, I could not find that street at all. I think it was Hmm. renamed. Interesting. Or something. I don't think it was because renamed because of this, but... I couldn't see an Atlantic Avenue or Atlantic Street anywhere in Folly. Hmm. The closest I saw was Arctic, which Arctic Street is not the, it wasn't renamed because that was a different street in this time period, Arctic hmm. Street and Atlantic Street. But I couldn't find Atlantic. Weird. Okay, but I do have the photos of the crime scene and they were really hard to find. So go to talkmore.com if you want to see those. But- So right now we're going to Friday, April 12th, 1974. So the two teenage girls I just talked about, they went missing 1973 in May. So we're about a year down the road. Mm -hmm. We're on the 1100th block of East Atlantic Street. There's a patrolman walking. His name is Edward Ott, O-T-T, which we've done a story 
And I believe it was a cop that also had that last name because hmm. I remember that OTT name. He was out because he got a call from one of the residents on Folly Beach to do what? To catch an illegal surfer. Right. I didn't know surfing was illegal. I didn't either. So I, I think on Maybe certain then? spots. I'm pretty sure. Sh- you know, I was thinking about I think it's on certain spots. So you, you know how you go down to one of our islands down here, Sullivan's, and there's a section where there's sharks and, and uh, strong, deadly currents. Surfing's oh. illegal there. So I'm thinking that he was just going out to catch someone that is surfing in uh, one of those mm, deadly okay. current areas. But I'm not sense. 100% sure. He is walking back to his patrol car when he hears a very faint but still audible scream from a, a girl. Ah, Ooh. Help me! Help me! He looks over and under a vacant home, 1101 East Atlantic Street, is where the sounds were coming from. Now, this is the house right here. Inter- oh, so the houses weren't even on stilts back then. Um, I don't know. That's a good point. Not many, anyway. At least not that one. So, guys, if you don't know what she's talking about, the house is here. A lot of the houses here are on stilts because of the flood um, risk factor. And actually, a lot of these little islands, you can't even get insurance. I know on... um, Really? Yeah. So, on Tybee Island, which is a shithole, and actually right off the shore of Tybee Island, there is an um, unexploded... A missile that was lost from World oh. War II that's still down there somewhere, and they can't find it. <laughs> so they're like, we're not insuring anyone who lives here. Yeah, I don't know. I can't Holy remember if it was a missile shit. or like a bomb. I don't think it was like an atom bomb or something. It may be, but anyway. Oh, but that's geez. not the reason they don't insure them. The reason they don't insure them is because of the tidal waves get so high sometimes. Well, it, the hurricane. literally just yeah. take your house out. So it's not that you can't get insurance, but it's hard to find insurance down there. So this house you're looking at right now, the left side of the house, you have kind of like a basement. It's the shower room. You know, when you come from the beach and you have sand on your feet, you wash off in the shower. That's the shower room. So that's where these crimes are going to happen tonight. Okay. Of this house, it's the same house right here. So are you saying this is the killer's house? No, this is not the killer's house. This oh. is a, a vacant house completely. Oh. Yeah. Well, the killer's using it. The killer's using it. Gotcha. Which automatically makes me think that the killer is from around the area, because how do you know what houses are vacant or not? Mm. Like, how? why would you risk He's a realtor. <laughs> no, shit, maybe. Anyway, if you want to read this... This is from the Daily News again, September 29th, 1974. Girls in the Sand. In a scooped out section of sand at the far end of the area, Ott saw three partially stripped teenage girls lying side by side on their stomachs. All were tied, hands and feet, with cruelly drawn plastic coated clothesline. Two were gagged. The third girl, obviously the one who had cried for help, had dislodged her gag. It lay in the sand. Ott was to report that the girl, eyes wide with terror, whimpered, Thank God you heard me. Get us out of here. He's coming back. Ott knelt beside the girl to undo her bound wrists and legs. Who's coming back? The man. The man who made us walk under the house. I can still see his eyes. He was crazy or something. He was excited. He was trembling like he was cold. That's freaking creepy. Wow. It reminds me a lot of Ted Bundy, those... You know, where he gets excited and it's just kind of eerie, you know. Ugh. 
Yeah. Anyway, so three girls were bound and tied under this house you're looking at right here. In that room, that shower room. Right. Jeez. Now, this was actually Good Friday. So, again, this was the evening Friday, April like, 12th, 1974. So, it's still, this is like off season. It's not, this is not peak yeah, of this summer. Is, yeah, that's why it was probably a vacant house. Hmm. Now, these girls were actually from Somerville, which is a local town here. They actually got the uh, day off school because it was Good Friday. Gotcha. They go down to Folly Beach to sunbathe, and they're just walking on the beach. And if you listen to the interview with one of the victims that was recalling the story, because obviously these girls survived, she said that she reaches down and picks up a sand dollar, and she remembers it because it's the first sand dollar she's ever found that's whole. Mm. You know, it's hard to find them that with no flaws in That's that true. Hole. You've got two right on your desk right there. Yeah, and I had that one tiny one, but you broke it. And I was really mad because you don't find small ones. And that thing was in perfect shape. But I got over it. Because you try to glue it back together. And I was like, that's not the same. But good try. We also have a whole jar of other ones. Yeah. Okay, so. We find a lot of sand dollars on the beach. Anyway, so she so she leans down and picks up this sand dollar. And as soon as she brings it back up, she sees this man standing he's got his shirt off he's in like swim trunks hmm. he's got a towel kind of draped over his arm and it's concealing a gun oh you know the barrel's pointing out and they can see the gun he tells the girls that he just killed three people and if they don't do what he says exactly he's gonna blast them away too he takes them to that house that you're looking at that vacant beach house mm-hmm. in the shower room and he ties them all up. He uses shoestring and he uses bed linen that was ripped up, you know, like okay. uh, a bed sheet. Yep. You rip it into uh, big rectangles. Luckily for these girls, the patrolman was walking back to his car and spooks the guy. And he says, quote, I've got to leave you for a while, but I'll be back shortly and take care of you. The patrolman hears him. Now, this is 20 minutes after they're bound up. This guy books it. Luckily, one of the 16-year-old girls had pushed her gag out with her tongue and just started screaming. Wow. So they were her. saved, and they weren't raped or anything. Wow. But they gave a good description of the man. They said it was a man with olive skin, dark hair, a dark mustache. Hmm. He also had a very distinctive scar on his ankle. Okay. And that was that is one of the ways they're going to identify this killer in in the future. Gotcha. And they said he was actually pretty good looking. I mean, not, you know, they kind of like, like a Ted that. Bundy kind yeah, of Yeah, like a yeah. Ted Bundy, you hmm. know. Well, he I mean, that's how Ted like Ted Bundy, you know, got caught women off guard with his good looks in a lot of ways, you know. He made these three girls lie face down and he binds their wrists and ankles, basically hog ties them, you know. Mm. This is the police sketch that was used in the newspapers to identify this guy. I know it's kind of rough looking, but. Interesting. So he, he's kind of got like curly, curlyish hair in that. I do love looking at the, you know, the sketches compared to the actual killer photos to see how close, yeah. you know, they are. I think that's cool. So is this the first time that he tried to do something like this? 
Uh, no, there was a couple attempts, and I'm not going to go over them all. Okay. And a lot of times he didn't get away with it because, you know, he heard a noise, someone was coming, or just like that cop that um, showed up. So he didn't have good luck, which is great. But, for instance, on Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. 1974, local shoppers at the James Island Shopping Center, which is about six miles from Folly Beach, they hear a girl screaming out in the woods mm. behind the shopping center, like, in the woods. She is tied to a tree. Oh, shit. Cops get there. She's bound up. She's tied to a tree. And I've heard two conflicting reports. The newspaper said she was raped. However, I saw other sources that said she was not. Hmm. We do know that she was uh, fondled, though. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it was full rape yet because he heard a noise in the woods, so he booked it. You know, and she still had her clothes on and everything else. It is interesting, though, like he is seemingly not as concerned about people or the girls that he's doing this to recognizing him or turning, you know, being able to provide a good enough sketch. Like he's more worried about being caught in the act. What do you Yeah. Why do you think that is? Take a guess. So I feel like he's scared of the confrontation with whoever is going to whoever catches him i don't know well this next story might explain better why he doesn't really care about if people notice him or not september 19th 1973 a 19 year old picks up a local sailor because we got a huge navy port down here obviously this is a huge port city she's at a local party drinking Again, two conflicting reports. One of them said the same place. Mm-hmm. One of them said the same vacant house. And another newspaper said that she actually brings him back to her North Charleston apartment. Okay. So either way, they, they leave the party. They're drinking. You know, he's a good looking guy. She's a good looking girl. They hit it off. Wait, so he's a sailor? Yeah, he's a sailor. He's in the... Uh, oh, he's in the Navy. Yeah, he's in the Navy. Yeah. He's oh. A, Oh, I was thinking at first maybe he was just like at the party. Oh, no, 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 no. He's a sailor, which is why he may not have cared about if anyone can identify him. Because, number one, you know, he'll spend, what, four years here and then go to his next duty Mm -hmm. station. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If this didn't happen here, it would have happened in whatever duty station he was at. Right. You know, if it wasn't Charleston... It would have been the same story wherever he was at. I mean, he also could have said, like, well, we all kind of look the same. We all kind of have the same haircut. So are they yeah. really going to, you know what I mean? She brings him back to her apartment in North Charleston. Immediately, complete changeover. He goes to beast mode and starts <laughs> pushing her on the floor, tries to assault her, is hitting her in the face, just being completely crazed. Hmm. completely different from the nice guy that she just met at this party. She gets thrown on the floor. He's pushing her head down in the pillow, everything else. He binds her up completely with his shoestrings, mm-hmm. ankles behind back, tied to her wrist. She thinks she's going to die. She challenges him, and this is what saves her life. And this does kind of remind me of one of the victims of Ted Bundy actually challenged Ted Bundy as well. And he lost interest because a killer like this, they want you to be suffering. Right. That's the reason they get off. Mm -hmm. So if you're not suffering 
and instead you challenge them, then that's a turnoff for the attacker completely. Interesting. Anyway, this is what she says after she's tied up. She says, quote, well, if all you want is a piece of pussy, come on. I've got things to do and places to go. After she says that. That is a badass line. He completely loses his erection and then he runs out. Wow. That one line saved her. Wow. Saying, well, if all you want is a piece of pussy, come on. I've got things to do and places to go. That line saved her life. Shit. I feel like I've heard something similar in a movie before, actually. That's, yeah. You go, girl. April 1974. If you want to read this, this is from a local newspaper here dated 29 September 1974. On Tuesday, April 16th, E.D. Pickerell, a Folly Beach resident, was walking his dog past the Atlantic Street house where Patrol Minot had rescued the three Somerville girls. The dog began to circle a mound of sand above the dune line in front of the house, growling and whining frantically. The animal obviously had sniffed an odor too faint for Pickerell to pick up. Pickerell reported the dog's suspicious behavior to Folly Beach Police Headquarters. In less than an hour, police and rescue squad members armed with shovels began digging at the spot where Pickerel's dog had whined. That's a good dog right there. Okay, this is the actual photo of what you just read. Do you see the body in this photo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you can see it barely. It's black and white. If you want to see it, go to talkmore.com. Very but that freaky is the, looking. Yeah, it's very creepy. That is the actual unearthed body that they found. Okay. Is it one of the two girls? It is not one of the two girls. Oh, wow. Now, Joel Sexton, which was the medical examiner for Charleston County at the time, said that the victim, which was a teenage female, was strangled with a cloth tied around her neck. Actually, there was still some cloth on the victim's neck. I mean, it was skeletal remains at this point. One report I read said the bulldozer had actually was doing a scoop and blonde hair came oh. out of the, uh, it was like attached to the, you know, the forks of the bulldozer, Ooh. you know, the bucket. It's got the yeah. spiky forks on oh, it. Oh, yeah. So did, did, did they accidentally dismember the the body? No, it was, no, it was they just, like, just the it up hair, because the hair way. doesn't really decompose as fast, I wow. guess. Continuing with that same article, the diggers quickly unearthed the decomposed body of a young girl who lay face down with rotting tatters of plastic-coated clothesline about her arms and legs. The body apparently had been in its sandy grave for weeks and was presumed to be that of a Mary Bunch. Do you remember that name, Bunch? I do. I said it earlier. Who was I talking about when I said... His name is Bunch, Julian Bunch. It's the police chief. No freaking way. Yeah, the police chief that said, oh, they're probably runaways. His daughter became one of these missing girls. Oof, the police that chief's is, That is some daughter. cold justice for well, it, that first mom. I mean, like... Yeah, oh, yes. Man, she's probably like, that's what you get for fucking saying my kids ran away. I mean, my it's sad, but shit, dude. I mean... Because now, oh, now we definitely have a serial killer. 
Those other two girls didn't run away. Yeah. There's no way. The police chief's daughter. I mean, it wasn't that he, almost like that. Look, that's probably that's terrible publicity for him in the town. It's like, oh, they only gave a shit when it was a police chief's daughter. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's sad. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. This is her right here. Mary Bunch. She's 16 at the time as well. This guy is into very young teenage girls. Yeah. I mean, so, it's is that still considered like pedophilia if they're that young? I mean, they're no, it's six. They're, no, thir- I mean, I they're don't know. 13. I think oh, so. I 13, think it is. Yeah, yeah that's they're definitely. 13 and 14. So this photo from the Associated Press is a profile picture of her. She's got curly hair. It says body unearthed on beach. The body of 16-year-old Mary Erline Bunch, missing since February 20th, was found buried on Folly Beach Tuesday. So she goes missing February 20th, and she's dug up in April after that dog, you know, finds her remains on the beach. Now, here's some photos that I'm just showing you, Nicole, of, you know, the of the search for the other bodies, because obviously they're trying to find the other two girls. They knew they had to be buried there somewhere. So you see this tract right here mm-hmm. of it's like a huge moat. It's like a huge gutter. That's the bulldozer trying to find these Jeez. bodies, these other bodies. Wonder how how many of Pee Wee's bodies are buried out in that area too. All right, going back now to the girl that met the sailor at the party. You remember that mm-hmm. she brings. Him Mm -hmm. back to his apartment. Yep. Okay. Now she sees this sketch because she didn't initially report this at all. She didn't know he was a sailor because she met him at a different party, but she let it go completely. And also this guy had a beard at the time, which you wouldn't think a sailor has a beard, but I guess it is the 70s and they are in the Navy. I don't know. Yeah, you would think that that's not a thing, but... Yeah. So she sees this guy's sketch and immediately thinks back is like, that's the guy that assaulted me. Wow. And she says she says that, quote, my abductor was wild eyed, trembling and excited. So creepy. Now, what's really screwed up about this is a month later after this assault took place and she challenged him. She sees this asshole at a party. Oh. Another party. And it's at the Enlisted Men's Club Mm. on the naval base. So she sees this guy across the room. How awkward is that shit? At the party, she said, I saw this fellow who tied me up. I pointed him out to a Navy policeman who told me the fellow was Richard Raymond Valenti. The policeman told me to contact you, but I neglected to do that until now. I saw the sketch of the fellow who tied up those three girls last Friday, and I knew then I should call you. The fellow in the sketch has to be Valendi. The Navy police can tell you about him. So now they know he's in the Navy. They got a pretty good idea that this is the right guy. This is what he looks like, and you can tell me if he looked anything like his police sketch. So he's a like a, he's an Italian-looking guy, Valenti, obviously yeah. Italian, and kind of olive skin. I mean, he fits the description. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about this guy. At the time of his arrest, he was thirty-one. He originally is from Brooklyn, 
You okay. know, all them Italians come yep. from Brooklyn. He joined the Navy in 1962 as a radio operator. He was assigned to the submarine rescue vessel Petrel, Petrel as a specialist to dash C radar expert. One report that I was reading said he was a petty officer, but that cannot be true because this girl, 19-year-old, saw him at the enlisted club. And, and plus, he's a radio specialist, a specialist, not a petty officer. So Right. And officers wouldn't be hanging out at the enlisted club. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So he was married what? at the time of his arrest. Yeah. And he has, which is really fucked up. And yeah. I want to know what you guys think of this right here. So please... Like, where's his wife at these parties? Hello? At home, I guess, waiting for him to come home. He probably says he's working late. I want you guys to tell me what you think of this. Go to talkmore.com to let me know in the comment section. But this guy has a five-year-old daughter. Ooh. And he's out raping 13-year-old girls. Ooh, that's So, at, I mean, what kind of guy do you got to be? You have a flesh and blood daughter. Would you want anyone to do that to your daughter? Why the fuck? Like, I, I just cannot understand. And there's, they're younger, like, they're young girls that he's doing this to for the most part. The ones that he's murdering anyway. Yeah. He got married to Sharon Wetmore. She actually had two kids of her own before they got married. So he's okay. got three kids, wow. two stepkids, and then one biological daughter. And they met while he was in a duty station in Florida. So like I said, he's probably not worried about being recognized because he's on the move. He'll spend three or four years in Charleston and then go wherever. You know, who knows? Wherever the Navy takes him. Another thing that's really fucked up about this guy is he lived a block away from that house, that vacant house that he used to kill all, all three of these girls. A block away in an apartment. He actually, during the search, you saw the search of the bulldozers and the everyone on the beach, all the cops. During the search, because it gets hot out there, he was letting the cops come in, use the bathroom, get water. He would make them food. He would come out there and hang out and talk. At the crime scene, while they're digging these people up, his wife would bring him coffee Wow. It was just like, what the fuck? They, she prepared did, did sandwiches she, for did him. Did she not think that he was... I don't think that she knew that it was her husband, which I can't believe she wouldn't suspect it. Because, as you'll hear in a minute, she did find out that he was into this bondage thing. She found a bunch of what the newspaper at the time considered, quote, choke porn that he had stashed Ew. away under his under the house. Under the house? Yeah, so he was stashing it away under the house so she couldn't find it. It was choke porn. Basically, I don't know, choke porn. BDSM shit. Anyway, if you want to read this, this is from the Daily News, 29th September 1974. The Valentes generously extended the run of the house and the use of the kitchen, bathroom, and telephone to those involved in the digging. They seemed not to mind as the passing hours filled the apartment with a dozen reporters, TV cameramen, and policemen. Valenti made several pots of coffee. His wife prepared sandwiches. Valenti, dark-haired and clean-shaven, left the house several times to visit the digging scene. Each time, he asked in a soft voice, Anything new? Found anything else? Reporters noticed that when he returned home, he would relax in an easy chair and begin idly thumbing a Bible. Yeah. Wow, what a freaking weirdo! Neighbors actually called him 
a quote super Christian. He of was, course, he was. Yeah, he See, was. We a super know Christian. the last episode how that turned yeah. out. Yeah, and then a lot of the uh, photos that were taken when he was arrested and you know going to trial and in the courtroom, he's holding a Bible. Kind of interesting. I'm surprised that they would let him go to the digging scene. Well, he just showed up. It's kind of like that body that washed up on the shore a few weeks ago and I was there. Not that I had anything no, to do with that. No, but he's like <laughs> digging up when they're searching. That That's weird. There's No, but a lot of locals were there helping and stuff. It's not just he's the only guy. I know, but it's Where, his murder. What's murders. going on? I know. It reminds me of that Australian story of that uh, podcast we listened to. Where are you digging? Remember that? Yeah. That was, that was a, great a good story. one. So he was arrested and quickly confessed to all of this. It was like an hour and a half interview and he <laughs> confessed everything. He's like, ah, it was me. Completely me. Wow, he clearly did not go through the right training in the Navy. <laughs> he was You're like, not supposed to like, divulge it. secrets, dude. On the tape and in the statement, he gave the first clues to his sexually deviant fetish for binding and gagging women. Such a practice, he said, gave him an emotional sense of dominating women, of bringing them under his total control. He had experienced his first urge to dominate women during a period of childhood resentment at the, quote, total domination exercised over him by his mother. So his mom. He got mommy issues. Mommy issues. Just like Edmund Kemper. Yeah. A psychiatrist at the trial testified that this man, Valenti, Richard Valenti, suffered from, quote, a sexual deviant character disorder. And that's why he wanted to control women. And he came from a, quote, seriously disturbed family and suffered from domination by his mother. His fetish stems from his desire to dominate his mother and have complete control over women. His sexual deviation is a type of character disorder. However, Valenti knew the difference between right and wrong. So at the trial, because eventually, you know, he confessed to killing all these and raping all these women. Mm-hmm. He goes to trial and he pleads insanity. What? Yeah, he pleads insanity. So they had to see if, because the only way you can get the insanity plea is if you don't know right from wrong, but he knows right from wrong. And one of the reasons that he knows right from wrong is because of what his wife testified Ooh. that she had found his choke porn and he was so upset that he betrayed his wife by having choke porn. That he tried to kill himself. Therefore, he knows right from wrong. He knew that was wrong. Hmm. Tried to kill himself. Right? So he knows right from wrong. He's not insane. His attorneys were trying to get him out. You know, get him out scot-free. He's like, what the fuck, dude? That's what attorneys do. Anyway, let's go back to the start of the episode. The two girls that go Mm -hmm. missing. Alexis Ann Latimer, 13 years old. Sherry Jan Clark, 14 years old. Remember, they were walking on the beach. The family of Alexis were fixing up that uh, beach house. They were only going to be gone for 30 minutes, never seen again. Now, after all of this comes out and the police chief's daughter is found and they arrest this guy, now they're still looking for the bodies of these two teens. And it took him a while, but he finally went and showed the police where he buried the bodies of these two teens. And this is the and this is the actual evidence photo of that right here, the, the burial site. Oh, I mean, it's like on in the dunes, right? Yeah, it's in the dunes. Now, during the interrogation is when 
He told them what he did. And this was going to make you really sick. The two girls were actually buried at 905 Atlantic Street, which, Mm -hmm. again, I could not find that street address on Google Maps. Maybe I wasn't looking hard enough, but I think they just... But I think they just uh, renamed it something. I wonder if it's probably the Waterfront Street if the dunes were right there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess it's a good point. He says that he saw these two girls walking on the beach. Remember, he lived a block away from this. You know, he mm-hmm. lived in an apartment there on Folly. Quote, I got this urge again, the urge to tie them up. It was a spur of the moment thing. I tied them up in the shower. Now, let's go back to the... The house, the vacant house that he was using mm-hmm. for all his crimes. This is inside the house. And instead of tying him up on the floor, hands and feet, hog tying, mm-hmm. he ties him to the ceiling of the shower. Right now you're looking at the actual spot that he tied both the girls up at. Do you see the two boards? Yep. And you see the pipe that goes in between them? Mm-hmm. So he ties one girl up to one pipe and the other one to the other right one. next to yep. the pipe across from the board. Now, tied up, I don't mean tied up hands behind back. I meant he tied a noose. Oh. And he made both the girls stand on chairs. Valenti said he hurried home, got a toy pistol and some strips of cloth and returned to the beach. He threatened to shoot the girls unless they preceded him to the outside shower stall on Arctic Street. After the girls reached the shower, he ordered them to disrobe. He tied their hands and feet, ordered the girls to pose in various positions, and then had them stand on a rickety chair while he placed nooses around their necks and tied the loose ends to water pipes above their heads. He said, I told the girls to stand still, but they became scared and began struggling and fell off the chair. I feel like that's kind of bullshit. I feel like that's maybe not what happened. It is bullshit. So in the confession, he says that he tied him up and it wasn't his fault. He was just making him pose, even though he has photos of all of this because they found his photo stash in his apartment. The girls were in the noose and they accidentally... Both kicked their individual chairs out from under their feet, out from under their feet, and they strangled themselves to death, just death by hanging. Later, he comes out and recants that, and this is what actually happens. He is in that shower room. The girls are tied up. They're both standing on separate chairs, the 13-year-old and the 14-year-old. Now, he is fondling them and all this stuff. He takes his clothes off, and then... He starts masturbating. Oh, God. And they're squirming and screaming. And then he kicks both chairs out from under the girls. Of course he does. He kicks them personally so he can watch them strangle to death as he's masturbating. That is what he did. That is this this guy you're talking about. So did he confess to this? Or they they saw saw the pictures and he was like, okay, I guess my story is No, he confessed to this. And this is from the medical examiner, quote, quote, a cloth band tightened to the bone of the Clark girl's necks and ridges of flesh and the necks of both girls indicated death due by hanging. Wow. And then they, of That's course, disturbing. and then they also find the pictures that he took because he's a fucking nightmare. 
Under two and one half feet of sand, the diggers turned up the skeletons of two girls resting side by side, face down with their heads pointed toward the sea. There were bits of cloth clinging to one girl's neck and rolled up ridges of flesh on both necks. So rolled up ridges of flesh, you know what that means? Like, think about the rope that's tied around your Mm -hmm. neck. And you know how, like, what I'm doing with my hand right now and the skin kind of bunches up? Yeah. You know, just like this. Yeah. You know? Right. I take your arm right now, if you're listening at home, and using your two fingers, kind of push in your flesh. Right. You see those ridges? Mm -hmm. That was found on their neck. That was like one of the only parts that wasn't decomposed is that little bit of ridgy skin found on the neck from where the... The rope was doing exactly was what you're doing it, yeah. to yourself in your forearm. Yeah. So. Wow. It's pretty bad. Wow. Now, the worst thing about this story, the worst thing about this story is that for some fucking reason, South Carolina at the time had a ridiculous law and is not there now. But during his sentencing, it was. And he was sentenced to two life in prison stays he actually never got tried for the police chief's daughter Hmm. which was kind of weird i thought that'd be the first one he got tried for but the stupid ass rule that they used to have in south carolina which they no longer do but when he was sentenced to his two life sentences said that after 10 years of prison time he's eligible for parole and not only that He is allowed to request parole every two years. So since then, he has requested parole, I think it was like 18 or 19 times. The reason this is fucked up, guys, is because the family, like the sister of Alexis and the family members of these two girls and the the, uh, police chief's daughter, they're still living here. And... Every two years, this guy requests parole. The last parole was denied in 2018. Wow. Guess what? It's coming right back up, and he's going to request it again. So I'm putting a link on talkmer.com on the blog post here. Please share this link. It's uh, the Facebook page, but it's done by the families, and it's just a reminder every two years to sign a petition. So every two years, they sign this huge petition, and he stays behind bars. But the really screwed up thing about this is he is requesting every two years, which is bringing the family back every two years to relive this. This happened in 1973. It is 2020. That's awful. 2020. How old is this guy now? He's got to be. That's what he looks like now. Wow. I'll put that picture on talkmer.com. It was just another, this is from the 20th parole hearing for double murderer, and he was denied parole again. Now, he says that getting out of prison isn't the most important thing in his life. Well, why the fuck do you request it every two years, you piece of shit? Anyway, he also says that if he does get out, it will be a good chance for him to spread the Christianity that he has been practicing oh, in prison. Oh, yeah. Great Christianity that you're um, practicing and preaching. Quote, parole is not the issue for me. 
and you know he still requests it every two years so i guess it is the issue um quote the quality of life i live in the lord is the issue for me all right chris watts Wow. You fucking piece of shit. I'm surprised that even though that that law doesn't exist anymore, that he would still be allowed to do that. Or all they might have to do... another A a loophole around that, just because they changed the law after he was convicted. Is trying for the other murder. Trying for the other murder, put him away, and like, sorry dude, life no parole. Yeah, but he would still get... But that's the thing, if they tried him for the other murder... It would still go under the, under the 1973 rules, and he would still get a chance to parole every two years. Would he? Yeah, because the crime... You, it's based on the law. Yeah, it's based on the year. I don't know how it works. I'm not a lawyer. But I do know that this guy is requesting every two years. The last God. one was 2018, so guess what? Two years is coming up again. So I'm going to put that link on the Talk Murder page. I'll sign the petition. Yeah, and... Guys, if you don't mind, just go there and just like the page and just forget about it. Completely forget about it because when the petition comes back up, you'll get notified. Yeah. And you'll see all this activity. Just go sign it every two years. Keep the piece of shit behind bars. Keep the piece of shit behind bars. And I mean, so that's the uh, Folly Beach serial killer. That's um, all I can find on that. What do you think? Well, I've always wanted to know the story. Um, I I knew that there was a Folly Beach killer, but I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, so Folly Beach, I mean, it is like the rowdier of the islands, man. Like, I don't want to claim this story, you know, because we would never have. No, you'll claim Pee Wee Gaskins. (laughs) I'll claim Pee Wee Gaskins, but I won't claim this. Yeah, Pee Wee Gaskins was burying bodies on Sullivan's Island, which is is possible. (laughs) Shit. You the first one, one out there digging like, hell yeah. yeah, let's go find this body. Yeah. All right, guys, that's the Folly Beach Killer. The reason I wanted to do that story is because we do have a live show coming up on Saturday. And if you're listening from Charleston and you're going to be at our show, I covered this for you. So we have a story that you've never heard of on our live show based in Charleston. So you guys are going to love it. Love it, love it, love it. So I cannot wait to see you there. Um, I don't know if we have any tickets left. You can go check and see if we do. Uh, Probably not, but still go check anyway. And we'll see you at that show. Until next time. Um, Why am I doing until next time? That's stupid. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like the story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our sailor, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talco Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you right here on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John Heward Nicole. And until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.